going to talk about everybody's favorite Christian subject today, fasting. No amens on that one, huh? I want to read from the book of Ezra, kind of an unusual text for a message on fasting, but it is mentioned and it says something really great that I I want to share with you today. Ezra chapter 8, starting with verse 21. There by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before God and ask Him for a safe journey for us and our children with all of our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from the enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. But his great anger is against all who forsake him. So instead, we fasted and petitioned our God about this. And he answered our prayer. Father, thank you for your word today. Bring clarity to us in a subject that is sometimes uncomfortable for us. Show us this untapped power that you have given us. And may we apply it to discipline in our own lives. In Jesus' name, One of the great revival stories of the Old Testament is found in the book of Ezra. Ezra led a delegation of Israelites from the land of their captivity back to the city of Jerusalem. God had given Ezra favor with a pagan king who promised to finance the rebuilding of the temple. That wasn't a cheap operation. It's a fascinating story that's, that's filled with... Um, Uh, twists and turns as Ezra endeavors to lead the people of God in this incredible endeavor of rebuilding a temple that had been ultimately destroyed. As you see in our text, fasting was part of this amazing story, but sadly, fasting has not played a significant part in this generation of American Christians. I submit to you that it is an untapped resource in the kingdom of God. Now, church history contains stories of the abuse of fasting, and some people are very quick to point out those stories of abuse. Particularly, this happened in the Middle Ages with the monks. Fasting was taken to an extreme, and people damaged their bodies by refusing to eat for long periods of time. The sad part was it was often in an attempt to to prove their worth to God. We don't fast to prove our worth to God. We already have God's worth stamped on us through Jesus, and uh, that's not why we fast. Pastor Wendy had a a classmate in Bible college who went on a fast and wouldn't stop. He was confronted by the school leadership, ultimately sent home, where he died from the results of fasting. Well, we hardly have a problem like this in the modern church. We live in a nation that believes that it is a positive moral virtue to satisfy every human appetite. That's pretty much what our culture does. It's called hedonism. Just satisfy your own desires, your own appetites. And so in this cultural setting, fasting seems to be something that's kind of obsolete. Maybe they needed to do that in Bible days, but do we really? 
Modern culture, American culture, has convinced us that if we don't have three big meals a day, complete with snacks in between, we are starving. <laughs> a friend of mine told me about a mission trip that he was on in Haiti, and they were very, very busy at work there. He was working with a Haitian pastor, and he said to that Haitian pastor, as they were so busy and hadn't taken time to eat, he said, I am starving. And the pastor, who was no stranger to hunger, looked at him and said, My brother, you are hungry. You are not starving. Kathy Cash tells this story. She says, One day my husband announced to the family that he was going to fast and pray. Ginny, our five-year-old daughter, had recently learned that fasting meant not eating. No, she said, you can't fast, you'll die. Her dad carefully explained that many men and women in Bible times had fasted, and the little girl paused and then had a flash of insight, and she said, yep, that's my point, they all died. <laughs> if you've ever fasted for any extended time, you can relate. You do think sometimes that you're going to die. And there are those who think that fasting is bad for their health. They say it'll sap your strength. Well, that it will for a season. Uh, that it can't, that, so that you can't do your work, it'll destroy healthy body tissue. Believe me, none of us have gone that far in fasting. Unless a person has a, a special medical condition, that is just nonsense. Certainly the human body can survive, uh, can't survive at all without air and water, but for, min for a, a, a couple of minutes with air and water is, is so needed. But the body can go a long time without food before starvation begins. We have these reserves built up called body fat. And once those are used up, yeah, it can get very difficult and dangerous. But when it's done correctly, fasting can have beneficial physical effects on us. But the primary reason that we fast is not for physical benefits. It's not for weight loss. We fast in obedience to Scripture. Consider these words of Jesus in Matthew 6 and verses 16 through 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. In other words, when the Pharisees fasted, they, they put their faces in all kinds of contortions, probably sucked their cheeks in and hung their heads, and they wanted everybody to know that they were fasting. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Notice Jesus didn't say they don't get rewarded. He says their reward is men seeing them. They get their reward in full. But you, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus is saying here, fasting is not some spiritual merit badge that you throw out in front of everyone. It's something that you should do in obedience to the Lord. And, and this is very similar to Jesus' teaching on prayer in that same chapter in Matthew 6. In verse 2, he teaches on prayer and he, on, on giving. He says, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. <laughs> Can you imagine in Jesus' day when they were going to give an offering at the temple, they would blow a shofar. And of course, everyone would turn to, to look what's going on. And then, clink, they'd drop their offering 
in the thing. They wanted to be seen by people. And so he talks about that when he, when he talks about um, um, giving. And then he says in verse 5, when he teaches about prayer, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen of men. And so in that context, in the 16th verse that I already read to you, Jesus said, when you fast, don't look somber and disfigure your face. And what is interesting is that while Christians emphasize giving and prayer as a regular part of the Christian life, very little attention is paid to fasting. Yet Jesus, in this very chapter, makes no such distinction. As far as Jesus is concerned, giving, prayer, and fasting are all important. Notice in verse 16, Jesus doesn't say, if you fast, do this. Jesus says, when you fast. That was an assumption. When you fast. Now, that assumption of Jesus is also found in another teaching on fasting in a passage that is sometimes puzzling from the same gospel, Matthew 9. Look at verse 14. Then John's disciples, that is John the Baptist, John the Baptist's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. There's the assumption again. Then they will fast. Now, if you read the context of this, you'll discover that the disciples of John the Baptist want to know why they were fasting and why Jesus' disciples were not. Now, John the Baptist, in this context, is in prison. And his followers were fasting for him because their leader's life was in danger. And they want to know why Jesus' disciples are not joining them in the fast. And Jesus' answer is really amazing, and we could spend an hour on this alone. Jesus said that the guests of the bridegroom should not be in mourning when the bridegroom is with them. Okay, this is basically what he's saying is, this is not a time of mourning. Jesus is saying, I am the bridegroom, and this is a time of celebration, not mourning. And by the way, it was John the Baptist in John chapter 3 who first called Jesus bridegroom. He mentioned him as the bridegroom in John 3, 29. And here, the disciples are mentioned as the guests of the bridegroom. In other words, they were the groomsmen. And they had different wedding cultures in those days, but the groomsmen were responsible not just to show up on the wedding day and walk down the aisle and walk a pretty girl uh, down the aisle and back the aisle, whatever. The groomsmen were responsible to help the, the bridegroom prepare for the wedding. And so they had to prepare the bridal chamber and so on. And once they prepared the bridal chamber, the bridegroom would go away, and then when the wedding date was set, the bridegroom would return, and the groomsmen would meet him then. And so what Jesus is saying here is that the, the disciples should be celebrating because they are the groomsmen, and they are with the bridegroom right now, but eventually the bridegroom will be taken away via crucifixion. He will be taken out of the way. And then he says, then they will fast. Jesus ascended into heaven. He is no longer physically present. We await the return of the bridegroom. But in between the time that he leaves 
in the time that he returns, Jesus said, they would fast as needed until the bridegroom returned. And so it is for us today. We as the church are awaiting the bridegroom to come for his bride, so we fast. Fasting is seen throughout the Bible. Moses, David, Elijah, Queen Esther, Daniel, Ezra in our text, Paul, Jesus, they fasted and many others fasted. Great leaders of the church have fasted. Martin Luther, the father of Lutheranism. John Calvin, the father of Presbyterianism. John Wesley, the father of Methodism, fasted. Wesley wrote in one of his journals, Some have exalted religious fasting above all scripture and reason, and others have utterly disregarded it. I think we fall into the disregarded part the most. Now, there are reasons for fasting. I want to go back to our original text because there I want to, you know, we, we could look at a lot of reasons for fasting. There are many passages on fasting in the Bible and they outline why we should fast. In fact, Isaiah chapter 58, which I almost preached on this week, lists seven reasons why we should fast. But I chose this passage in Ezra because it gives two primary reasons for fasting that I think really covers all the other ones. So this brings it down to just two primary reasons. Ezra, again, there by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast, first of all, so that we might humble ourselves before God. Fasting is an act of humility. Ezra was in a desperate situation. He was a priest and a scribe who was commissioned to lead the people back to the promised land to rebuild the temple. The task was huge, and frankly, the task was humanly impossible. Israel did not look like the land of milk and honey that, that Joshua had taken into them into many years before. There was nothing but devastation in the land. Ezra gave them the law of God, and God used him to renew the covenant with the people. And the call to fasting was an acknowledgement to God that they needed Him or they would perish. It was humility on their part. Fasting is turning our self-sufficiency into a dependence on God. Fasting is something that I am incapable of doing on my own strength. My self-sufficiency has to go. I humble myself before God. I am dependent on Him. On April the 30th, 1863, President Lincoln delivered to our country a proclamation for a national day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer. I want to read a section of that proclamation to you. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have, preserved, we have been preserved the many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. We have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom or virtue of our own. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. 
Why do we fast according to Lincoln? I go on. Listen to this sentence. Intoxicated with unbroken success. That was his view of American history. Intoxicated with unbroken success. We have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace and too proud to pray to the God that made us. Now, if Lincoln saw that Americans were intoxicated with unbroken success in 1863, he's probably rolling over in his grave today. I think it's accurate to say that since we are intoxicated by our success and our self-sufficiency, we need a drying out period. And fasting is a way that we dry out. It's a detox program for us. Not just our bodies, but our spirits, our minds. Fasting reminds us that we are sustained by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Where have you heard that phrase before? Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. He had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. When the, when the enemy came and offered him, to t tempted him to take the stone and turn it into bread, which Jesus could have done as the Son of God. He said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. On another occasion, one of the disciples brought some lunch to Jesus, assuming he would be hungry. And in John 4 and 32, Jesus said to his disciples this strange thing. He said, I have food to eat that you do not know. Then he explained, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. It's a very unusual phrase. You see, in the final analysis, what Jesus is teaching us is that we are not sustained by food. We are sustained by the power of God. And if it were not for the power of God, all the food in the world could not keep us alive. Fasting humbles us because it reminds us of this important truth. Fasting says, Father, I can't do this on my own. I deny myself. I humbly bow before you in acknowledgement of my weakness without you. You see, when we fast, the physical weakness that we feel is a reminder of our human weakness, our human inability apart from Him. When my belly growls out in need of food, my spirit cries out in need of Him. That's so critical. So, we fast to humble ourselves before God. Acknowledge that we don't have the answer. Secondly, Ezra said, we might humble ourselves before God and ask Him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. Fasting prepares our hearts to believe for great things. One of the reasons we don't accomplish great exploits for God is that we are too quick to take credit for our success. Fasting says, this is impossible for me. But once we humble ourselves in fasting, we get ourselves out of the way. We are in a better position to trust God. I don't know how to explain how that works. I can just tell you from experience, it works. It does. Ezra is here on the threshold of a new adventure in his service to God. He's about to step out in faith. And then in verse 22, 
he says this, and you might have caught this as I read the text initially. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of God is on everyone who looks to him and great danger is against all who forsake him. Ezra says, I was telling the king how great our God is. And when I realized how dangerous the road was in front of us, I decided not to ask the king for reinforcements for an army to accompany us because it's kind of embarrassing. I was bragging on this God and now I think it would be kind of dumb to ask him for military escort. But he was ready because of his fasting. He was ready to believe God to do something incredible and God came through for them. And it says in verse 23, so we fasted and petitioned our God about this and he answered our prayer. There are certain things, certain breakthroughs that will only come through fasting. In fact, in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's got his little inner, inner circle with him, Peter, James, and John. And the other nine disciples were down at the bottom of the mountain ministering as he had taught them, and they ran into a problem. The problem was there was a demonized boy and the demons were giving seizures to the little boy and throwing him in the fire. And Jesus' disciples tried to cast the demon out of the little boy, but they couldn't. Jesus came back down from the mountain, and he dealt with the demon immediately, and the child was healed. And then in Matthew 17, when they got him aside, because they wouldn't have done it in front of everybody, <clears throat> they came to Jesus in private and said, why couldn't we do this? <laughs> why couldn't we drive this demon out? And Jesus said, well, because you have so little faith. But I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. And missing in some of our translations today is this part of verse 21. But this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. There are certain breakthroughs that require fasting. And the Holy Spirit will be faithful to let you know when that time is, when you need to fast. Sometimes fasting is needed to avert a crisis. In 1756, the king of England called for a day of solemn prayer and fasting because of a, a threatening invasion by the French. John Wesley announced at that time on February the 6th, he recorded these words in his journal. The fast day he says, was a glorious day such as London has scarce seen since the restoration. Every church in the city was more than full and solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God hears prayer and there will yet be a lengthening of our peace. And in a footnote, Wesley wrote this, humility was turned into national rejoicing for the threatened invasion by the French was averted. Wesley says, we stopped an invasion from an enemy, a foreign enemy, by fasting and prayer. Fasting is an act of humility. Fasting prepares our hearts to believe for great things when we're faced with an insurmountable challenge. And then I want to end up talking about some practical instructions on fasting. Again, Jesus says, when you fast, people back then knew how to fast. They knew the practical aspects of fasting. We, on the other hand, most of us need to learn how to fast. So I want to give you some, some practical advice 
to help you out with this. First of all, understand that there are different types of fasts. While denying ourselves food is the primary way to fast, when we talk about fasting, it basically the word means not eating, but we can deny ourselves in other ways. I remember years ago, one of my daughters came home from school and said, Dad, one of my friends uh, is giving up smoking weed for Lent. And uh, that one doesn't work, I don't think. I, I, I'm not going to condone that one. But fasting is about denying ourselves everyday pleasures. Wacky weed not included with that. You know, we can fast certain kinds of, um, of food, like we can fast meats. We can fast sweets. We can fast all foods and only drink water or even juice. I want to caution you, you must drink. Your body can go a long time without food, but it can't go long without water. Always drink when you fast. Always. You may say, well, God told me not to drink. No, he didn't. Drink when you fast, okay? The only person who ever fasted without drinking was Moses, and that's because he was 40 days in heaven in the glory of God. Don't think he needed it there when he went to the mountain. Personally, when I, I, I have issues sometimes with my metabolism. I get headaches when I, when I don't eat something. I've gone on what I call communion fast. I, at mealtime, I'll take a piece of bread, I, I mean a, a nice chunk of bread, good whole, whole grain bread, and a glass of grape juice. And I'll just sit quietly and eat the bread and drink the grape juice in communion with the Lord, recognizing his body and his blood. Um, that works for me. Here's one that, that modern Christians have never thought of. A media fast. <laughs> Come on, put your phone down. Stay off of Facebook. Turn the TV off. Can you imagine what would happen to your spiritual life if you gave one quarter of your TV time to God? One quarter of your TV time spent in the presence of God. What do you think would happen? There are many ways to fast. The Bible even talks about married couples fasting by abstaining from sexual relations. That's in the Bible by the way. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you think I'm making this up. I want you to notice when you read it, it is a mutual decision between the married couple. The husband or the wife does not say, God is calling me on a five-year fast from sex. <laughs> Marital sex should only be abstained from when it is the mutual agreement of both part partners in any instance. So, I just throw that out to say fasting can be done in different ways. And so there are different ways to do it. The next thing I want to say is start small and work up from there. I heard a, a preacher once say, I started a 40-day fast every day for a month. Let that sink in a little bit. Started a 40-day fast every day for a month straight. If you have a, a, a special medical condition or concern Maybe talk to your doctor before you fast, but there's something that you can sacrifice. There's something that you can give up. A good recommendation would be to begin with a 24-hour fast from lunch to lunch. Uh, eat your lunch, begin a fast, skip dinner, skip breakfast the next day, 
end your fast with lunch, that is an accomplishment that gets you somewhere. It's a step that you take. Don't start real big. I was reading a book this week on fasting by uh, a great preacher named Mahesh Shavda. I don't know if you ever heard him, but he has an incredible ministry, signs and wonders following his ministry. And um, he talks about the, the first time he went on a 40-day fast. Now, Mahesh is hysterical. He is, he's hilarious when he tells stories and, and, uh, and so on. So I want to read his story to you. He writes, When I observed my first 40-day fast in 1974 at the direction of the Lord, I was still a bachelor living in an apartment in Levelin, Texas, and was serving as the senior pastor of a church in that area. Now, I love potato chips, even though they're not good for me. I made the mistake of buying a huge bag of my favorite kind of potato chips just before I started the fast. And every morning after I began the fast, I would get up and walk through the kitchen just sensing those potato chips calling out to me. Hello, Mahesh. How are you? We are here. We are waiting for you, Mahesh. We are lonely. And we taste so good. I just gritted my teeth and stayed on the fast. The problem was that with every new day, the appeals from the lonely potato chip bag grew more desperate. Here we are, crunchy, salty. I rebuked them. I took authority over them. I bound them, but I did not cast them away. <laughs> on the 18th day of the fast, I broke. I ran into my kitchen, took a hold of that giant bag of potato chips, ripped them open. I devoured every single potato chip right there in the kitchen. Then I turned to the Lord and said, Lord, I am a wicked man. Forgive me, Lord. Then I went and continued with the fast and finished the 40 days. A lady asked me one time after I shared this story, did you begin all over again? I said, are you kidding? <laughs> I'm sharing this because I want you to remember that God has a sense of humor. If you set your sights on a three-day fast and you only make it one and a half days because you followed the McDonald's or the Burger King sign you saw on a vision, don't kick yourself too hard. You've still accomplished much, and God is pleased with your, your heart's desire for more of Him. Start somewhere. If you fail, keep on going. Another practical bit of advice is don't try to store up food ahead of time. Don't eat three steak dinners in one day to store calories. In fact, do the reverse. Cut down gradually before you begin your fast. Eat lightly in preparation for a fast. And by the way, don't overeat when you break a fast. Uh, you know, I've not eaten for three days, so I've got to make up for lost time. Um, you know, fruit and vegetables, soups, broth, things like that are good. Don't come off a 10-day fast with hot wings and chili. I just don't recommend it. A note about addictions. Um, a special problem we have with addictions, especially in our culture, because withdrawing from caffeine can give us headaches. In case you haven't noticed that, if you skip your coffee in the morning, that headache, you know that's coming probably not from stress because you didn't have your coffee? Um, just saying. And some people handle that by, by continuing to drink coffee and tea while they fast. That's fine if that's what you decide on between you and the Lord. 
Or you can scale back again of the coffee ahead of time so uh, you, know, you can avoid it while you're fasting. The same can be said for sugar addiction. Scale back ahead of time. For me, instead of eating whole Hershey bars the day before, I just eat Hershey Kisses every two hours. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Wendy says, no, you're not. I, I am kidding. <clears throat> By the way, uh, addictions like that are, are, that are that severe, maybe you should consider fasting to break that bondage in your life. Just a thought. Throw out there. One final thing. Combine fasting with prayer. Someone said, fasting without prayer is a diet. Fasting without prayer is a diet. The point is that we should use the extra time that fasting affords us to pray and read the word in a deeper way. If you're at work on your lunch break and you're fasting, get aside quiet somewhere and spend some time praying. That's why in the Bible, fasting and prayer go hand in hand. We need to devote more time to pressing into the Lord when we fast. Fasting is an untapped resource in the kingdom of God. And I would encourage you, as we are beginning this new year, to join with us as a church body, as we've been encouraging you to do for weeks, and start this discipline of fasting. Just start somewhere. If it's just a meal, if it's, if it's uh, sweets or caffeine or, or whatever it is, start somewhere and begin to tap into this resource that God has given to us. It's an individual thing, but do something in the area of fasting. You will not regret it. Someone once said that self-denial produces power. And I think that's true. Anytime in the Bible you see self-denial going on, you will see power produced eventually along the line, the power of God operating. You want to live in the power of God. You want to see God do great things in your life. Begin this discipline of fasting on a regular basis and see what God does to bring breakthrough in your lives. Let's pray together. Father, we, we come to you and we know that it's not your heart to put a guilt trip on, the, on us about this. You want us to do this because you so desire to unleash things in our lives and produce the power that we desperately need. And you've given us this way of fasting combined with prayer to see breakthrough. And so in this quiet moment, we humble our hearts before you, Father. We acknowledge our need of you. And I'm asking you, Lord, to speak to us clearly today. Uh, give us a plan of action. May we just start somewhere. Forgive us for ignoring this discipline that you just assumed we would do. When you fast. So Lord, we, we change our mindsets about that right now. Lord, this is not going to kill us. It's going to discipline our flesh and it's going to produce breakthroughs for us. So give us this incredible tool to just, may we just begin to operate, put it 
at our disposal and see things happen, see breakthroughs in our lives. We thank you for your faithfulness to teach us, to exhort us today. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.